This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. You're just not got a free shot on all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. It's Natalie Winters here hosting. Now, I've gotten a couple requests from people. They've been asking me. They're like, I don't recognize the show. It's not War Room because you're not interrupting the guests. You're not telling them to stop when they start talking. And I know Steve's shoes are are very big to fill, too big to fill, frankly, but I'm, I'm trying my best. So we're going to bring on Terry. I know I said we have Mike Davis, but we're going to bring on Terry Schilling real quick to talk about what's going on. Uh, I was going to say among America's youth, but I think we're talking about people my age and what they're doing with their, their genders, all the craziness that's going on. Um, and more importantly, what Republicans, specifically in local levels of government, are doing to push back. So, Terry, you sent me a very, very, very alarming study about the skyrocketing of uh, gender dysphoria and all these kind of weird gender identities that I've never even heard of um, among both Gen Z and millennials. So why don't you break down what exactly is happening and maybe walk us through some of the terms that they use for these genders, because even I kind of get lost. Oh, man, I, that's a whole uh, can of worms that uh, be tough to unpack. Uh, so essentially what's happening is there's been an explosion uh, in the whole transgender madness that this nation has been experiencing. A new survey from uh, Rasmussen shows that uh, double the amount of Gen Zers, almost 20% of them identify as transgender or non-binary, whatever that would, basically it means that they don't identify as male or female. They identify as something in between, and that's double what millennials identify as. So that brings up the question, are we creating this? And the obvious answer is yes. This is an ideology that's being pushed on our kids in schools. It's it's being used to bully kids uh, into this trans ideology. Um, but the good news is, and this was the article actually that you sent back to me, Natalie, about how there's been an explosion of legislation to address this transgender threat to our kids and our families. There's been over 340 pieces of legislation that have been introduced so whether it's to save women's sports, protect kids from these surgeries and hormone procedures, or just get this damn ideology out of our kids' schools, um, it's exploding all across the country. And APP is very, very proud to be part of that fight and that pushback. Yeah, the Daily Mail called it 2023, the year that trans goes bust. Now, that's something I could get behind. That's a, a good, catchy slogan. And I know APP certainly helped a lot to, to make that happen. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't graduate from high school all that long ago. So I was, I'm young enough to have kind of felt the ramifications of this weird push for the LGBTQ agenda. I remember at my high school, we had more uh, transgender and all gender bathrooms than we did transgender students. Uh, we celebrated transgender day of remembrance, but weren't allowed to honor the victims of 9-11. It's really, really, really crazy. And I can only imagine 
how it's intensified. So can you sort of walk us through, because I feel like this is one of the issues that it's very easy to get worked up about, right? What they're doing to these children is is horrific. Frankly, it's, it's criminal and, and it, it should be treated as that. Um, but how exactly do we combat it, right? Because it's one of these issues that's so nebulous, it's so big, it's so beyond us. I know you guys really drill down um, and get into the weeds of how you fight down from a local level, the bills that we need to oppose on a federal level. So what's APP working on? And what's the way that we solve this and put an end to this madness? Well, I think you have to combat it um, in every way possible. And there are three ways uh, at the top of my mind that that come to mind is one, if you're a parent um, or you want to have kids, you have to talk to your kids about this stuff and and prepare them to answer all of the claims of transgenderism. Essentially, what these guys claim is that your soul is separate from your body and that sometimes a, a boy's soul gets trapped in a girl's body or vice versa. It's all nonsense, right? It's all ridiculous. And if you're a parent, you have a natural authority with your kids. So talk to them, explain to them how crazy it is to, that, that these people believe that men can have babies and that women can have, you know, Johnson's or however you want to say it. Uh, I got to be family friendly on this show. I know, but, um, so that's first and foremost, if you're a parent, talk to your kids, go on offense with them, but two, you have to get involved politically and legislatively. The Republican party is so pathetic in, in so many ways because they haven't really capitalized this, uh, on this issue. That's so contrary to everything we know to be true about science and, and biology and just, humanity, that there are men and there are women and there is really nothing in between. Um, And so the Republicans really need to go on offense. There's a huge opportunity, a political opportunity as well, um, to save this country and, and make Democrats pay a price for their extremism. But the other thing is lawsuits. This is consumer fraud, Natalie. Everyone knows it. It's medical malpractice. And we need to sue and bankrupt these companies, these big pharmaceutical companies, these big hospital chains, these these corrupt doctors that are mutilating these kids for money, right? These are these are little kids, right? Like they, they haven't gone through puberty and they're putting them on puberty blockers. They still believe in Santa Claus for crying out loud. Of course, they're going to believe these crazy gender concepts. So those are the top three things you can do to get involved. Um, find someone that if you're a lawyer, I know there's a lot of lawyers that listen to the show. Let's start suing the heck out of these people. Let's 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 make these poor, vulnerable and exploited people millionaires from how badly they, they've been exploited. I just saw that a transgender runner wins women's 1500 meter at Canadian Masters Indoor Championships. I guess that's a, a win for women everywhere, right? Not not quite. But I think you, you bring up a, a really good point. And I think it's one of these issues that certainly has been intimately linked to the COVID pandemic, right? How big pharma and their lust, their greed for profits has really kind of been a motivating factor for a lot of what's been going on there. But I think that that side of the transgender story is often sort of left out, right? The fact that if you take the cultural aspect out of it, it's also just another avenue for big pharma to make a lot of money to get these kids messed up internally in their heads thinking about what their gender is. Then they have to go on the puberty blockers to change their gender. Then once they realize they made a mistake, they have to have a whole other round of you know surgeries, and then they're in therapy and treatment for, for years and probably on antidepressants. So it, it really is a cash cow that I, I think Big Pharma loves to milk. I know Ken Paxton, I think, had, had filed a lawsuit against uh, AbbVie, I believe it was, or one of their drug makers for how they were marketing their products to children. But can you just sort of explain more the, the Big Pharma connection with what's going on here? You know, is it is it a racket? Is it fair to call it that? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Though it's a huge racket. Um, so AbV, the company that makes the puberty blocking drug known as Lupron, it's actually not a puberty blocking drug. It does that as like a side effect, but it's meant for, uh, cancer victims, uh, prostate cancer victims. Um, and then also sex offenders, right? We've been using this to chemically castrate sex offenders for decades. Uh, they're not allowed to advertise this to children because it's an off label use, but Ken Paxson and many others like myself believe that they are in fact marketing it. Natalie, you know, as well as I do just how bad TikTok is and all of these social media influencers are, there's a lot of guerrilla marketing out there right now where these companies are paying people under the table. They're paying other companies to then pay these social media influencers to push this stuff. So when you're on, you know, libs of TikTok has exploited this to a great extent and really exposed these people. But when you're online and you see these happy-go-lucky uh, transgender people who are talking about their top surgery, their bottom surgery, their their puberty blockers, their their hormone replacement therapy with, with testosterone and estrogen, which by the way, we don't allow young boys to take testosterone, uh, to, to get more muscles when they're, uh, insecure about their bodies. Uh, it's funny how that works, right? But there's an agenda here, I think to sterilize our kids and make a ton of money doing it. These, these people love to control a population. I think that's ultimately where it comes down to it. They, they don't view sterilizing kids as a bad thing. They view it as like a liberating thing in a perverse way, right? Like having a kid and having a family. These are the same people that compared uh, the family to concentration camps, right? Betty Friedan uh, wrote pretty extensively about how the family was a concentration camp for women in America. Uh, they're they're sick, they're perverted, uh, but these companies, these big pharmaceutical companies, Avi, by the way, made over $800 million off of that Lupron drug in 2019 alone. And that's three years ago. And now the trans industry is over $2 billion a year. Yeah, this long march through the institutions of these anti-family, you know, groups and people really has been successful. I remember in my uh, sex ed classes in high school, all we ever got was a lecture from a Planned Parenthood representative on how to get an abortion. And we learned about all the different genders using what they called a gender-bred person, uh, talking about the <laughs> different ways you could identify yourself as and and all this craziness, it, it really is sick. And I think you're so right that parents need to get involved um, with what's going on in their kids' classrooms. And I think, you know, War Room is, is lucky to have the opportunity to highlight so many of those parents who do that and do that on a regular and routine basis. Of course, you amplify that over at American Principles Project. So I, I'm sure you'll be at CPAC. I don't know if you're speaking, but... A, how can people, you know, stay in touch and follow your work and, of course, APP's work, too? And what are you excited for, looking for, forward to at CPAC? Uh, well, actually, I'm most excited about my own panel, but not because I'm on it, uh, because I'm uh, doing a panel with Riley Gaines, the swimmer um, in the NCAA who had to swim against Leah Thomas, as well as Chloe Cole, who is a detransitioner who had a procedure done, had procedures done to her before she was 18, who's actually uh, got a malpractice lawsuit right now where she's suing these people. So very excited. It's at 10 a.m. on Friday at CPAC. Uh, I hope you guys all check it out. But if you guys want to follow me on social, me social media, it's just shilling1776 across all the platforms, Twitter, Getter, uh, Instagram, all of that, shilling1776. Thank you, Terry, for joining us. I always Terry, say I think the us. fourth branch of government here in the United States is big pharma, and you see that with COVID, with the transgender issue. They really, really, really are so powerful, and the, the lobbying campaigns that they have are just 
massive. I think they're almost uh, commensurate in, in value and size to the armaments we're sending to Ukraine. Uh, thank you, Terry, for joining us. I think we should have Mike Thanks, Davis sir. up, and I know we're, we're right up against the break, but if Mike wants to come on. Now, the War Room Posse, I always see them in the live chat. They're always messaging me. You know, we need these investigations. All you guys do is rant about what's wrong. We need solutions. We need subpoenas. And you had a wonderful, wonderful Twitter thread where you sort of explained, uh, I don't want to call it the shortfalls, but potential shortfalls of some of the investigations that are going on right now, right? We've sort of looked to the Benghazi committee and investigation as a bright line. So where do you think we are? Like I said, we have about two minutes, um, but just give me a brief summary of where you stand on these investigations and we'll drill down after the break. So yeah, the House Republicans have been in power for nearly two months and they've known that they won power for nearly four months. Remember, we had to rush to elect Speaker Kevin McCarthy so we did not slow down the investigations. And so the question I have for these select committees out there that are so important on the weaponization, politi- uh, the weaponization of the DOJ and the intel communities the COVID scam committee and the China committee is where the hell are the oversight hearings? Where the hell are the subpoenas? Why are we taking so long to get moving? These are critically important committees looking at critically important issues. Why are we wasting so much time? Why are we not off to a running start? James Comer has been off to a running start on the House Oversight Full Committee. we may have a bit of an issue with Mike down the line. I, I Maybe. Do we have Mike back? All right. Well, we lost Mike. We got about a minute till break. Hopefully he can join us after because I think he really brings up an important point and it goes back to what I had said. I think I was actually sitting in the seat when we talked about appointing Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker, right? Is his election, his position going to really nullify and hamstring these investigated these investigations into just controlled opposition, right? Performative activism. And I think, look, I'm I'm all for the work that, you know, James Comer and Jim Jordan are doing. I think they've issued some very meaningful subpoenas. Um, but I think we need more hearings. I think we need more subpoenas. We need more investigations um, on the criminal aspect, too, and not just reactionary, right? One of the, the COVID subcommittee put out a bunch of statements in response to the DOE's statement um, about how COVID likely leaked from a lab. We don't need to wait for the Biden regime. The truth is on our side. We have the facts on our side. So we need to get people in front of Congress, use the power of the subpoena, because otherwise, what does it even mean to have a House majority if we can't use it, if we can't get to the bottom of all of these issues? Hopefully we can have Mike Davis join us after the break to talk more about all this. Stay tuned. Despite the U.S. blowing through $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand, when it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's time to pull yours out. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000, and it's only going to get worse. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king because it's dependable. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Bannon, that's B-A-N-N-O-N, 
to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of our precious metals specialists. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bannon to 989898. That's Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bannon to 989898 today to get your free info kit. Take action. Use your agency. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. I always say whenever we have technical difficulties, it's a toss-up between Pfizer or the Chinese Communist Party. (laughs) Who's responsible, though? In this case, my money is probably on the Chinese Communist Party. But I do think we have Mike Davis back with us. So, Mike, if you want to sort of pick up where you left off and just give us an overview of what's going on with all these committees, maybe identify where some of their shortfalls are, you want to juxtapose it to historical precedent, you know, where it's where I feel like we're sort of in uncharted territory. Maybe we aren't. Um, but where should we be? Why aren't we there? Uh, and, and how do we get there? Yeah, thank you, Natalie. So House Republicans have a window of opportunity here to do some critical oversight over some of the most pressing issues our country has faced. That includes the weaponization of the Biden Justice Department and the Intel community where they have politicized and weaponized the FBI, the DOJ, the Intel community against Trump, Trump's top advisors, including Steve Bannon, uh, Trump supporters, everyone with whom they disagree is a target of their investigations, of their prosecutions. And, and they need to get moving on the House uh, Weaponization Committee chaired by Jim Jordan. The China Scam Committee, uh, where we're looking at uh, the the COVID scam, the coronavirus scam, and that is being chaired by uh, Brad Winstrup from Oklahoma. It's a select committee that's going to look at COVID and what we did wrong with COVID and what we need to fix so we'd never go through what we did again with COVID. The third select committee that is critically important is the select committee on strategic competition with China. That's chaired by Mike Gallagher. And so the problem is, is House Republicans have had power for nearly two months. We've known we're going to have power for nearly four months since the election. We had to elect Speaker Kevin McCarthy immediately because we couldn't waste any time on these investigations. So where the hell are the oversight hearings? Where the hell are the subpoenas, right? On the Weaponization Committee, they have had one hearing on February 9th. Uh, 2023, there are no future hearings scheduled. There's only been three subpoenas issued. Uh, Why are there not hearings every week with this critically important committee? And I think the problem is is that Jim Jordan is the full Judiciary Committee chairman, uh, and he's using his full Judiciary Committee chairman staff to run this weaponization subcommittee. It is a critically important committee. It needs a designated leader. It needs either a designated chairman or a vice chairman or whatever Jim Jordan wants to do here, but it needs a designated point person to run this thing. It needs a designated chief counsel. It needs a designated staff. I've heard Jim Jordan doesn't want to staff this subcommittee because he thinks it will give the Democrats staff. Well, my response is Democrats already have staff. They have thousands of them. It's called the FBI. It's called the CIA. It's called the Justice Department. It's called the Intel community. We are outnumbered and outgunned. We need to 
we need to staff up this subcommittee and get moving on serious investigations. We don't need performative nonsense like get, like the Benghazi investigation. We need real investigations like my former boss, Chairman Chuck Grassley, on the then, the then chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee used to do. We have the Coronavirus Committee. I'm seeing that they've, they've sent out three letters just yesterday from the Coronavirus Subcommittee, and they're doing a roundtable today. That's not enough. They need to get moving on investigations, on oversight hearings, on more subpoenas. The China Committee by Mike Gallagher, I'm seeing that there's they're just getting organized today. They're having their organizational meeting today, and they're having their first hearing tonight. We're wasting valuable time. We have to be able to do these oversight hearings so when the Biden administration uh, blows off these subpoenas, we can get into federal court and get orders issued, get these subpoenas responded to, and actually do real oversight before the clock runs out at the end of this Congress. We could lose the House of Representatives uh, in two years, and so we, we have a window of opportunity. Again, these are critically important issues. We have to get moving on oversight. Certainly not the time for uh, for roundtables. I think we're very, very, very far past that, and it's a shame that so many of these committees that I think the MAGA base was really, really excited and rightly so justifiably about getting to the bottom of so many of these issues, right? This kind of unprecedented opportunity is maybe it's too early to say being squandered, but it's it's certainly not moving with the, the force and velocity, which it should. So that sort of brings me to my, my question. You're obviously a very smart guy. You're a lawyer. You, you know, understand how this works. So can you maybe explain the time frame, right? What is your ideal time frame in all of this? And more importantly, to your point where you identified, you know, a lack of leadership being the key issue that we need to fix here. You know, who needs to step up within Congress? And is there a way that the war room posse or sort of the grassroots um, can help these people to step up, right? What can the war room posse do to ensure that these investigations don't turn into Benghazi 2.0, but make Benghazi look like child's play? Yeah, I mean, it's a lack of leadership, and it starts at the top. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy needs to lead here. The, these are these are three different select committees across three different committees in the House of Representatives. That, 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 that shows that there is a speaker problem in the House of Representatives. They need to get moving on these committees. The speaker, Kevin McCarthy, needs to sit down with Jim Jordan, with uh, the, the subcommittee, Chairman Gallagher and Winstrup, uh, with Comer, the full committee chairman. Comer's doing, uh, James Comer on the oversight committee is doing a fantastic job. He's off to a running start. He seems like he's the only one doing oversight in the House of Representatives. So I want to commend James Comer, and I want these other three committee chairman of these select committees to get moving and compare the compare what's going on here let's look at oversight the senate controlled or the democrat controlled senate judiciary committee is having an oversight hearing with attorney general merrick garland biden's attorney general before the house judiciary committee is having an oversight hearing how is that even possible like what why has jim jordan not issued a subpoena for attorney general merrick garland and demanded that he come in for oversight and Garland's going to the Senate Democrats before the House Republicans. That, to me, is crazy. And let's compare this historically. When I worked for then-Chairman Chuck Grassley on the Senate Judiciary Committee from 2017 to 2019, I did nominations. I was the chief counsel for nominations. It was an important part of his portfolio, but it was one slither of what he did. He served on, like, 
four different committees or five different committees. He had his Iowa work back home where he went to all 99 counties every year. And on the Judiciary Committee, I was just one piece of it. There was oversight and investigations. There was legislation. He was a very, very busy man. But we still held 30 nominations hearings over an 18-month period, 41 markup meetings where you debate and vote on the nominees. We had floor votes for 278 nominees, including Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, I ran Justice Gorsuch's confirmation from the outside. Grassley ran ran that confirmation. We shattered records for the number of judges, uh, federal appellate judges that we appointed for President, for, for President Trump, for any president in the first two years of his administration. It's because Grassley worked hard. He was a workhorse. He was not a show horse. He knew what he was doing. He had a good staff. We we knew we had to break a lot of China every day and fight every day to get it done. That's the same thing that House Republicans need to go do. Go over and talk to Chair, uh, 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 Chuck Grassley's oversight and investigation staff. The, the oversight and investigation staff will help the House Republicans. Go get trains. Go go learn how to do oversight because we need to get moving. We are wasting valuable time, and these are too important of issues. We cannot have two systems of justice in America. We can't have a weaponized, politicized Justice Department and in intel community. We can't keep bowing down to China as they take over the world. They're taking over every institution in America, and we need to learn what went, what went wrong with COVID? We lost millions of people, trillions in treasure, and more than two years of our life because of Tony Fauci funding COVID in the Wuhan lab, lying about it, covering up, and we did these stupid measures like masking and social distancing, closing down schools that destroyed our economy and wrecked too many lives. We have to figure out what the hell happened with that. So House Republicans need to get off TV and start doing work. It's not just the seconds that matter. I think it's down to the milliseconds, the, the nanoseconds. It really is so important to actually make these investigations mean something. Frankly, if it were up to me, I'd want to subpoena every Democrat who voted against the formation of the China subcommittee, because I think you've found your cohort of people who've been compromised by the Chinese Communist Party right there. But we have a few minutes left um, before I let you go. I'm just curious, because you talk about the lack of leadership and you know, Warham, I think, was very forthright about our, our stance on Kevin McCarthy. So in his kind of involvement with these investigations, do you chalk it up to incompetence, right? Is the lack of leadership because he can't lead? Or is there more kind of a nefarious angle to it? Is, is there a reason that these investigations are shaping up to be controlled opposition because he's running cover um, for the deep state? for the, as Steve would call it, the administrative state, the in-your-face state? We got about two minutes, but I'll hold you over if you feel so inclined. I don't know what Kevin McCarthy's motives are, and I don't have evidence that he has bad motives here. I just think it's a lack of leadership. Kevin McCarthy is very good at raising money from corporate interest, and uh, with these oversight hearings, he can't go there and raise money, so he's probably not very interested. Uh, and that that was my problem with Kevin McCarthy before he was elected speaker. That's why I opposed him. He's, I don't think he's he's not war room posse. He's not red pilled. Uh, he he doesn't. I, where was Kevin McCarthy for the first two years of the Biden administration when when the Biden administration was using his Justice Department and and Intel community to come after Trump, Bannon, Navarro, uh, the, the White House. 
chief of staff, the White House, uh, the White House trade. I mean, every top White House counsel, every top official in the Trump White House, uh, Trump supporters, when they were rounding up the January 6th people for even people, you know, goofballs and grandmas who trespassed and took selfies on the Senate floor going to solitary confinement and the D.C. gulag. Where was Kevin McCarthy? Where was Kevin McCarthy during these China lockdowns? And that's the problem. He just I don't think he Mike, cares about these issues. Where, where can people follow you and follow, find your work? Yeah, very fast. Article3project.org, article3project.org, at article3project, at article3project, and at MRDDMIA, at MRDDMIA. Thank you very much, Natalie. Thank you so much for coming on. We got Dave Walsh talking energy and climate change up next. Stay tuned. Friends, with so much chaos and danger in the world these days, I highly recommend you stock up on emergency food right away. Let's face it. You're going to need this food, and now is the time to get it before it's too late. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and stock up on their popular three-month emergency food kit. When you do, you'll get $200 worth of survival gear as a free bonus. You need this gear when things fall apart or the grid goes down or any time you might have to fend for yourself. To see everything you'll get, go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your $200 bonus gift comes free with each three-month emergency food kit you order. That way, everybody in your family can be prepared. But hurry, this offer won't last forever. Check this off your list and sleep better knowing your family won't suffer if the worst-case scenario ever happens. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and score free shipping too. MyPatriotSupply.com. Take action. Do it today. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to The War Room. We have Dave Walsh joining us momentarily to talk all things energy. He makes me feel very smart. (laughs) Whenever he comes on, I always feel like I'm the most well-informed person at the cocktail party I'm at uh, talking about whether it be renewables, climate change. He he knows everything. He also is down here in Florida and and very, very nice. We met at Mar-a-Lago. I think a few months ago, he and his wife are very, very lovely people. But before we get to Dave, remember, if you want to sleep the sleep of the just, as Steve would say, make sure to use code WARROOM on my pillow. They don't just have pillows. They have so much stuff. I recently got a new dog, and my pillow also sells dog beds. They also have blankets. They have so many wonderful things. I think they even have pillows for children. So there's certainly something that you didn't know you needed on their website if you go over to, I believe it's probably mypillow.com slash war room. Um, but Dave, there's so much I want to talk to you about. And, and I think that energy, climate change, that whole issue is so important because I think it dovetails very nicely with what we've been talking about, which is how the globalist elite loves to exploit these crises uh, to expand their power, right? COVID was sort of the hot ticket item uh, from 2019 up until maybe last year. Now it seems that climate change is really, you know, a hardcore push. They really seem to be weaponizing the younger generations to be hardcore climate advocates. I remember when I was in high school, they had a climate walkout. I was the only kid that didn't walk out of my classroom to protest climate change, and I'm very glad that I was. Um, But there's also a darker side to the whole climate change. I would call it a a grift because that's exactly what it is. Um, And it's how precisely the United Nations and groups of that ilk um, are using it to really hamstring the Western countries financially and, of course, implement a far-left social agenda. But 
I remember you were on War Room a lot talking um, after COP27 how they had agreed that Western countries would pay reparations. Um, I don't think you can say third world anymore. I don't think that's politically correct. I believe it's now the developing countries. Um, but how we would pay them, despite our economy being in shambles, um, pay them reparations, right? The R word. Um, yet somehow the Chinese Communist Party in China would also be on the receiving end, right? Preposterous uh, proposition at face value. Even more preposterous when you realize when you're reading the news uh, yesterday and you find out that, well, these reparations are now coming to fruition. Uh, I believe it was Scotland, uh, for the first time ever, has actually carried out on this policy of paying what they call climate reparations to the country of Malawi. And what's so interesting, there's a quote from the president um, of Malawi in there, and I'll read it before I bring you in because I just, I think it's funny how uh, even the people who are on the receiving end know it's a grift, yet they still have the nerve and the gall, the boldness to, uh, to demand more. Describing the money as aid is wrong. It should be, it should instead be seen as countries taking responsibility for climate change together. A thank you probably would have just sufficed. But nonetheless, I think that this is sort of the opening salvo of a much scarier, scarier trend, uh, which is this idea of climate reparations. So can you sort of, A, walk us through what exactly COP27 was proposing and, of course, how ridiculous the idea is, um, but what the ramifications are um, if these policies were to go mainstream? Well, uh, the United Nations has a sub-organization called the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change. And they in, in, have now an annual seminar summit on climate, which is COP27 was the one that took place about three months ago in Egypt. Uh, it's going to be re- renewed next year. The next COP28 will meet next year. And, and it finalized these reparations to, as you said, the developing world for climate damage. Uh, However, ahead of that finalization, Belgium, Canada, Austria, France, Denmark, Scotland, Scotland, New Zealand, and Germany have stepped forward and indicated they'll they'll already make commitments ahead of next year's finalizations of the trillion-dollar plans for reparations. And here Scotland, as you've correctly reported, has stepped forward and actually now made hard hard transfer payments of several hundred thousand pounds initially to Malawi. For and you mentioned the word grift. I want to substitute possibly the word graft, but here, here's the why. Um, Malawi is, is one of the more corrupt countries in the world, as indicated by the United, no less than the U.S. Embassy in Malawi, is indicated that the present handling of Malawi's anti graft czar raises doubts about her commitment to clean government. Uh, the Africa report indicates President Chakera has lost control of the fight against corruption. Uh, the U.S. has said, we have actively engaged senior government officials to seek renewed commitment to fight corruption, but those have failed. So even our own government is indicting Malawi as a pretty corrupt place. Now, is there tremendous need there? Absolutely, yes. L- listen to this one. The United States has 156 times more electricity per capita than Malawi. Western Europe has 90 times more electricity per capita than Malawi. Malawi has electric power generation at a 1902 level compared to the United States 
in, and about a 1902 level compared to Western Europe. So 22 million, 21 million people in desperate need of energy. What does what does the uh, the World Bank say about that? The World Bank says we'll only lend and support lending to places like Malawi if they're for renewable projects only, not what they need: base load, low cost, abundant, continuous duty electricity, but things like solar that are 14% of the day, and, and night doesn't work as you know, and wind that are about three eighths of the time. The the um, World Bank will fund those kinds of minimal energy projects, but on the other hand, not fund baseload continuous duty projects. Now, places like this with histories of corruption, again, this isn't me, as iterated by our own government in its reflections on Malawi, a, a better use of money always is building hard infrastructure if the West funds something that you can see good for the people emerging, not money going to a corrupt government that winds up often in the hands of those running the government, but actually building actual infrastructure that you can see. What does Malawi need? Anything more than electric power generation facilities and power plants. I, I couldn't, if, if I had to put one dollar into Malawi, that's what I would put it into to to generate the possibility of elevating lifestyles, elevating the economy, elevating human the human condition and economic development, I'd build power plants, given that they're at a 1902 level of electric power consumption. Uh, the, instead, we're uh, the COP27 mantra and uh, Scotland are throwing money in there. Um, I, I'm also going to, I did mention on, on, uh, on War Room before that the countries have stepped up first on this. Many of them have a long history of kinds of donations into these countries, into these, into the developing world to obtain preferential status on equipment supply uh, in, in terms of graft, be countries such as Germany, the UK, uh, Austria, Italy, to, to name a few, um, chronically involved deeply with these kinds of markets in terms of uh, con convictions uh, that, that have happened over many of them over many years for the kinds of facilitating payments often necessary to do business in these countries. Those countries have tended to lead, lead the league on those, have stepped up as the first folks in line to make reparation payments to the same country. So there's a there's a variant here of greenwashing through, uh, you know, uh, remedying uh, weather problems that have been arguably created by by CO2 damage. We're actually, and then finally, if you look, many of the countries who would be recipients of these funds, according to COP27, like Venezuela, are actually countries who who export massive quantities of fossil fuels that they then turn the argument on its head and claim the West uses these to pollute them. So you get this very, very complicated uh, scheme here that uh, the, the, the reparations make no sense whatsoever. They, they never do, I think, reparations in any context are, are just preposterous and the whole sustainability green initiative, whatever they want to call it. Um, it's a, it's a load of BS if I'm allowed to say that on War Room. Um, you know, meanwhile, you have Hunter Biden, uh, and his, you know, CCP linked state owned investment firms funding yep. Chinese coal companies like Yan Coal. Uh, you have all these elites flying on, you know, private jets as, as the trope goes. Um, so before we get into, to the other subjects, which there's a lot to get into, we have a few minutes. 
So if the reparations, right, they're so shoddily put together, they make no sense. They're not actually paying attention to the kind of status quo issues going on in these countries. Then what what are they about? Right. Is it the same thing with covid where they they're using it as a pretext to extend extend power and control or or what's sort of the end game here, right? Like play it play it through. Say these reparations materialize. Who's who's benefiting, right? What's what's the point of all of this? Well, there could be an argument from the West. I mean, the the, the payers would be Western Europe and North America, Canada, the U.S. and and Japan would be the payers. The you know the end game could be a a, a leveraging of advantaged. It is a wealth transfer scheme for sure. That makes no sense, but um, a leveraged advantage over China. China is very active in the developing world in sub-Saharan Africa, of course in Southeast Asia, and growingly heavily active in South America in building infrastructure projects for their equipment supply, their construction firms, their development bank. They're very, very active. So this, you know, that maybe this is a way the West can argue that here we're under the mantra of uh, environment and, 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 and fighting climate change, we're, we're donating also in ways to get more control and more business in these places. I, I, that, that could be, I mean, that's about the best case I can think about on this, but the egregious uh, uh, wealth transfer aspect of it is really uh, what, what is very, very hard to defend. You look at the need in this country now, the budget deficit, the, the hideous energy problems in Europe, the fact that we're exporting now uh, $35 per decatherm LNG to sustain England and other countries in Western Europe now in the absence of Russian gas, uh, something that costs here about $3 a decatherm, uh, and we're making a fortune on. There's a tremendous need there for infrastructure, for power, and a devastated economy uh, already, uh, you know, without looking at these kinds of, these kinds of projects. Anytime the left uses a term to describe something, I always feel like it's the opposite. And I think sustainability when it comes to energy is a, is a perfect glowing example of this because the sustainable energy model is not sustainable power-wise well, or, or fiscally. No, if you, use, if you use that word in 360 degrees of its definition, sustainability, what we're doing, for example, in this country to our electricity supply system is absolutely non-sustainable. Look at the announcement yesterday, nice Wall Street piece on PJM. You know, the U.S. is divided into uh, various uh, electricity regions. ERCOT is Texas. PJM is Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Virginia, Eastern Ohio, Maryland form the PJM region. MISO is west of that, about 13 states. The PJM market has come out and said now that with 20,000 megawatts of baseload coal nuclear capacity being closed in the next three to five years, they're going to begin to have brownouts, blackouts, and service curtailments because of the lack that that will cause of base load continuous duty electricity. Some of it's going to be replaced with gas, which runs all the time, but a big part of that, 20,000 megawatts, is going to be replaced with 14% of the time operational solar panels, and then maybe three-eighths of the time operational wind farms. Which, which doesn't produce the continuous sustainability, sustainable electricity necessary. Well, we got to jump to break in a sec, but I want to hold you over because we got to talk about this, this journal article titled SOS for the U.S. Electric Grid. It's not War Room. It's the Wall Street Journal. You heard it first from Dave Walsh. It's what we've been talking about for a while. Stick around to hear more about potential energy shortages. Stick down the CCP. 
in Joe Biden's America, criminals are exalted and the police are condemned. Sad to say, but you need to be prepared and properly trained to defend yourself and to defend your family. Thankfully, there's iTarget Pro. This revolutionary system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your own home. No more inconvenient trips to the range, and with inflation causing the price of ammo to skyrocket, you save a ton of money. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm, and start your training experience. iTarget will help you develop muscle memory, sharpen target reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger function, and more. iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, so you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Go to itargetpro.com right now and save 10% plus. Get free shipping with the offer code Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, all one word. This makes a great gift for Father's Day and is less expensive than a few hours at the range. That's the letter itargetpro.com. That's itargetpro.com, offer code Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N. The new social media taking on big tech protecting free speech and canceling cancel culture join the marketplace of ideas the platform for independent thought has arrived superior technology no more selling your personal data no more censorship no more cancel culture enough getter has arrived it's time to say what you want the way you want download now you're back in the war room. We got Dave Walsh down the line. I was just telling him I was trying to convince him to come to CPAC because I told him a lot of the war room posse wants to meet him and wants to meet all the regulars on the show because I think we're all going to be there, assuming that uh, Pete Buttigieg in the Department of Transportation doesn't uh, interrupt my flight or, or get in the way. Uh, I should be there starting tomorrow, and all of the war room posse should be as well. And if you want to come out and say hi, make sure you use code WARROOM to get 47, it's a very good number, uh, dollars off of your ticket. You get to meet Steve. Uh, I won't say you get to meet me because that's too narcissistic, but you'll get to meet the rest of the War Room Posse, producers, everyone. But Dave, while I have you until we finish the show, I want to talk more about that Wall Street Journal piece because I think it's it's interesting for them to be admitting that an SOS, right, a, a potentially very, very precarious energy situation could be coming, especially as we're pushing for climate reparations from the West when we don't even have our own house in order. It's a tale as old as time, I think, about, right, the southern border defending Ukraine, right? Let's focus on America first. Um, but the elites just don't seem to want to do that. So what's exactly going on here? Are there potential energy shortages coming? What should the war room posse know? Well, th there are shortages already in the country in the ERCOT market, which is the, the, the Texas uh, grid, ERCOT, under the uh, FERC system. In California, we're widely familiar with the electricity shortages there, growing in Minnesota, Colorado. Over Christmas in North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, they appeared and, and these are happening increasingly because of the lack of or the teardown of baseload continuous duty electricity plants, being coal plants. Countries reduced about 110,000 megawatts, about a third of its coal-fired generation in the last 10 years, and a, and a good scale a portion of its nuclear capacity has been shut down in favor of solar, wind. Some gas-fired technology has replaced that, which runs all the time, and that's a good thing. But on the other hand, that which has been replaced with this intervention of solar and wind 
it, that, that stuff runs wind about three-eighths of the time on a 75% daily variability. You don't know when you're going to have it. Solar runs about 14 to 20% of the time. Again, massive ver- intraday variability depending on cloud cover. You don't know when you're going to have it. The important thing for everybody to remember, this electricity thing, unlike a barrel of oil or uh, water in a reservoir, it's not stored up. It's just like the generator attached to back up your house. If that thing runs out of fuel, you're done immediately. The big system works th- exactly the same way. So there has to be generating capacity spinning way in excess of demand for the lights to stay on. When it, be- it becomes very hot, demand goes up. When it becomes very cold, demand goes up for heating. And that's why that there's something called reserve margin, about 26% buffer on top of the peak demand of producing more electricity continuously to have the system work. There really isn't a notion of large-scale storage that's yet been developed. So we're seeing now in the PGM region, which is Pennsylvania, Virginia, parts of New Jersey, Maryland, announcements that in the next four years, look out, could be brownouts and service curtailments because they're, they're taking down tearing down, removing 20,000 megawatts, a huge portion of nuclear and coal, displacing it with some gas, but a lot with renewables that, again, work a very partial part of the day. So you'll, you have, because of that, a far lower electricity density, far lower energy being supplied into the electricity system on a predictable basis, lower, therefore, reserve margins, therefore, more brownouts and blackouts potentially occurring. It's a huge problem. So we got. You said that they're potentially rolling that out in Florida, here where where we are, or or what exactly? I've I've looked closely at the Office of Energy Plan for Florida, which is a compilation. You know, the states don't have big energy departments. What they have are the utility. They aggregate utility reports of what the utilities are going to do. Florida utilities have told the state house and the Department of Agriculture, which here runs energy. to the extent it oversees it and through the Public Service Commission, they're going to build the new capacity generation in Florida in the next 10 years is going to be 90% solar, meaning the baseload continuous duty, nuclear, coal, gas, is going to remain in about parity. It's not going to grow, even though the population here is growing wildly. It grew 14.5% the last 10 years, should grow the population about 15 more percent in the next 10 years, meaning the need for more continuous duty baseload energy is going to go up substantially. But what the state utilities, mainly Florida Power and Light, leading the charge on this, are pushing are building nothing but solar farms. Now, why do they do this? They do this because they don't have to compete on them. A slice of power under 75 megawatts per farm, they don't have to bid against competition per state regs. If they build a 1,000-megawatt gas plant, they have to face competition by independent power producers bidding building that plant against them. Farms this small, 74.5 megawatts and under, they don't need to bid against anyone, so that this is goodness for them. Also, they get guaranteed rate recovery on them, uh, independent of how much load they produce. So, and, and they're very simple to, to build. They're very, caught, they're, they're very, very safe to build in terms of meeting a budget because there's virtually nothing to them in terms of risk. So you've got that factor, but the fact that they get a guaranteed recovery on them and, and they've announced to their public shareholding, they're a net zero company, they're a decarbonization company, they're going to be net zero by 2035. 
Nextera, actually, the parent company of Florida Power & Light, is the one of, if you will, use this pejorative language, wokest energy companies in the world. They are the largest owner of renewable power projects globally in the world, Nextera, the owner of Florida wow. Power & Light. So well, Florida Power & Light have superimposed this thought process on Florida ratepayers that, guess what, we're going to build nothing but solar. They're, they've eschewed any more. They've said they're not building any more baseload gas plants in Florida. All solar. Dave, we're, we're running up against a break, so, sir, the end of the show. So where can we find you real quick? How can we stay up to date with your work? Getter, getter at Dave Walsh Energy and on Truth Social. Same, same handle. Thanks, Natalie. Have a good one. Well, we're almost done. I think this we got the afternoon show, and then at CPAC, Jack Posobiec is going to be hosting this afternoon. Uh, it's always an honor to, to be hosting. I know Steve are, are massive, massive shoes to fill, and I am by no means Steve. I try my hardest, but it's an honor to be hosting for the War Room Posse because you guys are going to save this country. So if you're going to be in D.C. tomorrow at CPAC, make sure you say hi to me, to everyone who's part of War Room. Like I said, it's it's really a blessing and an honor to be able to host the show, and I mean that. So thank you so much. Have a good one. We'll be back at 5 p.m. today with Jack Posobiec hosting. Hang in there. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out.